<laughs> Still can't believe we made that character <laughs> the character creation for it. It's a good build. It's a good build. Uh, <laughs> that, check out the George Washington episode if you want to know what we're talking about. Uh, right around April 1st, for some reason. Yeah. Dangerous Penitent Engine in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 99 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about character failure and redemption. But first, the crew of His Enduring Light eat a meal in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Cursebreaker makes mages rage and wizards weep in the Character Creation Forge. So today, part three of our series on tribality, the annotated history of Brian Talandro, has been released. So altogether now, you should have about 9,000 words of brand. Yeah, of, of us talking about what <laughs> brand is and will be. Uh, it also features some artwork from Quinn Wilson. And uh, one of the things that you guys have been asking for for the longest time, an actual character sheet. Although it is the character sheet that... For a different game. <laughs> <laughs> For the 5e playtest. Yeah. <laughs> and keep reading after the sheet because there are a few corrections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, like, there were some pretty big changes that happened between the playtest and 5th edition. Namely, multi-classing spells works differently. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily use that as the basis for any of your own characters. Right. But if you want to, you know, take the level breakdown and play that at what, level eight? Yeah. Go for it. It's still a good build. Also up online right now is the first part of my Masks actual play set in uh, Young Justice that's the superhero TV show from a few years ago that's actually getting a season three now. Uh, it was put together by Rich Howard from the Whelmed podcast, friend of the show. Uh, that's at crashingthemode.com. Uh, he got together a, a pretty great group of people. It was run by Brendan Conway from Magpie Games, who's the creator of Masks, uh, which is uh, powered by the Apocalypse Engine game that lets you emulate young superheroes really well. Uh, Rich himself played Robin Dick Grayson. Big surprise there. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Rich plays Robin. Uh-huh. <laughs> His very favorite character of all time. <laughs> His co-host Emily Buza was Miss Martian. Neil Powell from the DM's Block played Kid Flash. And Darcy Ross from Cypherspeak and Contessa was Aqualad. I got to play Connor, Superboy. And the actual play opens uh, at the high school graduation of Connor and Miss Martian and then goes basically to Atlantis from there. Oh, a Rich Howard game that goes underwater. Uh, a Darcy surprise. Ross game that goes underwater. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know what? It did really offset the fact that Superboy can't fly. Yeah. It was handy. I, I can imagine. <laughs> but can he float? <laughs> well enough. <laughs> but can he crow? <laughs> no. No. He can't. All right, so check that out, and we'll put a link up in the show notes. Uh, and also some D&D news that we haven't talked about yet. So they announced a few weeks ago the next uh, player book available. They always talk about adventures, and we don't. But the next player book available for D&D 5e will be 
Xanathar's Guide to Everything, November 21st. This is pretty exciting because we are going to be getting a bunch of new subclasses for all of the different classes. I think every class gets two new subclasses except for Wizard, which gets just one. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not Lore Wizard. I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are also getting a bunch of new feats and spells. And then apparently there's some information for GMs. But for the most part, it's a player book. Do we know for sure that Mystic isn't going to be a new class? Uh, it is going to Adventurers League playtest along with Artificer. Uh, so they they didn't, at least they haven't said that there will be any new classes in Xanathar's yet. Okay. Well, maybe. We'll see what happens. But get your copies. We'll be doing a full review of it and um, start thinking about what you want us to be building in the Forge with these new options. Yeah. And uh, it also is being released similar to Volo's Guide with the Game Store like special edition cover the similar kind of line art style um it, it actually looked pretty cool and i think it has some color in it this time which is nice yeah um, um, and it'll be i think probably two weeks early at local gaming stores at yeah if, if your store is in the the right tier of wizards of the coast patronage right so early november and then final reminder please get your mailbag questions in for episode 100 which is next week uh we are doing all mailbag and some announcements um get them in by friday night if possible because saturday we might not see them before we record yeah and you know you definitely want them answered yeah on the fly yeah (laughs) without much prep (laughs) just like we answer your emails (laughs) also if you send us an email in the past couple weeks there's a your question is also a candidate for the mailbag yeah, you can send questions uh, to TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. Also on Twitter at TBTCast. Oh, should we put a hashtag on there so we can find them again? Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Hashtag TPT100. Oh, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Mystery. Build mystery. All right. Speaking of building mystery and also on the fly and not much prep, <laughs> where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules from Fantasy Flight Games. And the Rogue Traders have recently arrived on the feudal world Gauntlegrim after a brief detour as captives of Dark Eldar. Uh, You are bringing along some passengers who came from the planet. They're not passengers. They're not paying. That's the problem. Oh, right. Yeah. They're (laughs) cargo. They're, they're rescuees, if you will. Sure. <laughs> um, but you have made landfall. Uh, we're greeted by an Imperial Guard colonel, which was a bit of a surprise, as well as the Duke of Leannisport, the capital city. Um, and then you were kind of left to your own devices for a while with an invitation to dinner that evening. Oh, there's nothing we like more than free food. Right. <laughs> and as members of the uh, void-faring nobility, uh, as rogue traders, you made an entrance. Uh, you you put on your Sunday's best and, uh, and showed up to dinner. You were announced before a large crowd in this beautifully appointed kind of cathedral-like uh, chamber uh, with a long table set for a hundred. Uh, and 
then you had to role play a social encounter. <laughs> yeah, that was difficult. I mean, we made a splash when we when we walked in, right? Flair rolled in with his full entourage. He's actual nobility. He's got mm-hmm. a train and people are carrying it. And everyone is named Felipe because who cares what their names actually are? <laughs> this this is an ongoing joke <laughs> for Flair's character was that he called all of his servants uh, or his attendants Felipe because that was the head attendant and he didn't want to tell the difference between them. <laughs> Uh, and the rest of us had on our dress skulls. I think even Echo had like a, you know, a gown on. A, a slightly less stained shirt. Right. <laughs> less ink stains. But yeah, our characters are not really specced for social combat. Yeah, this was very fish out of water for you guys. Uh, you're also mostly not nobility. Um, you know, you're playing the part of rogue traders under a warrant of trade, but you're not an actual rogue trader. You're the crew of a rogue trader. Also, you have to, like, give up your guns before you go into this room, and that's yes. just weird. Yes, uh, very Firefly-esque in that regard. <laughs> so we started, you know, carousing and socializing, as you do. Yeah, so one of the rules of this encounter was that you were not going to be able to just stand in a pack of six people and let two of them speak, because that's not really how parties work. And so, you know, you guys had to kind of spread out and mingle, and you all had your own kind of goals for what you were going to do here. And you were able to quickly determine the hierarchy of things, right? Which were the major houses, they were all kind of color-coordinated, and who were the power players, and who should you speak to and who could help you with this and who could give you the lay of the land and who should you not insult over their dead son? (laughs) Yeah. Fortunately, um, like any essentially medieval town, uh, visiting nobility is a novelty. So people wanted to talk to us. Yeah. Uh, I think you you mentioned Firefly earlier, but I definitely took like, shindig as a primer for what to do in this party so like trank shoots guns that's what he does so he <laughs> looked for the person with the highest military rank yeah. made a beeline to them and started shooting this shit about weapons right <laughs> <laughs> so uh you got some got some laslocks huh that's uh better than what you got i suppose but you know it'd be really great if you had repeaters yeah you know uh the uh the mars prime pattern of the last guy is like really a fine specimen <laughs> they say the action locks up on occasion that's a nice bolt pistol you got there <laughs> this one's mine right. i call her vera not all of us were that successful, though. No. Mm. So part of those rules of having to spread out meant that some of your characters who are not uh, built for socialization. Not people, people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Were uh, given the opportunity to fail. And that <laughs> that happened when Echo ran up on a baron named uh, Baron Darendil. Oh, Baron Darendil. And now uh, you might recall one of the... Uh, orcs in your prison cell one aboard. of our refuge orcs Re- yeah, yeah. Ab- aboard <laughs> refuse orcs refuge refuge orcs <laughs> it's a refugee orc um aboard the dark eldar trap was named prince darendil and he was if you recall an orc who insisted that he was a member of the galtalgrim nobility who had been turned into an orc yeah, we could not figure out if he was telling the truth. We could tell that he believes he's telling the truth. Right. So we brought him with us. Yeah. <laughs> and so Echo starts, recognizes the name, and as Echo does, starts prodding down that path. 
Uh, come to find out that she grossly insulted the Baron as she demanded he recount the tale of his son's death on the battlefield <laughs> and how he was buried without a body uh, because it turns out he died in the midst of a firefight at the time that the Dark Eldar raided, offering you no light into the situation of your passenger, but also uh, grossly insulting a member of the nobility. Yeah, perhaps not the most tactful thing to say. I don't think that's how it happened. That seems unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever wondered? (laughs) (laughs) But is it possible that he didn't actually die and that you had a funeral for nothing? (laughs) Well, long story short, uh, Echo finished her meal in the servants' quarters, <laughs> as she proved to be too much of a liability. Please go talk to the cooks. <laughs> Though she did prove to be rather handy, because uh, you would run messages to her, mm-hmm. and given her lore skills, she was able to kind of give you some context. So uh, her encyclopedic memory of all of the data slates on Gontalcrim proved to be quite useful in, in the rest of your encounters. So after dinner, the rest of us were able to regroup and sort of compare notes. We did realize that we've got two competing groups of bidders here on this planet for the uh, ration bars that we're offering from Nova Bella, uh, who could potentially offer us the ag equipment that we're looking for. Yeah, and, and they basically have two different directions that they would go with that deal, right? How they would change Gontalgrim. Uh and we'll get into that later because <laughs> all you've really figured out in this decision is that, uh, great, we can drive up the price. <laughs> <laughs> There's also an Imperial tactician on this world named Biota who seems to be commanding the war effort. Uh, he is very well versed in the Tactica Imperialis, uh, so well versed, in fact, that he refuses to deviate from it in any way. Which is, you know, how you're basically supposed to run the Imperial Guard. Well, right, because you're supposed to fight using the Tactica Imperialis with fully equipped Imperial Guardsmen. <laughs> and also faith. And faith, faith in the in Emperor. Emperor. Yeah. You lead with your faith in your face. And your LAS gun. Right. right. They don't have those. They, they're missing those LAS guns. <laughs> those are important. So he's one reason the war effort is going poorly. Right. So it turns out this has created a couple problems, right? First of all, they need reinforcement on the front lines. Uh, they're they're just churning through bodies of the Imperial War Machine, story of the Imperial Guard, right. but at a rate that's unsustainable because they don't have the firepower they need. And then as a result of that, these people see a giant ship come in the sky with these rich rogue traders who've gone gallivanting about the galaxy and spreading the Imperial faith and by the might of the Emperor... They've got some armsmen, right? They can uh, certainly offer us some armsmen. Yeah, a ship that size must have a crew of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh-huh. Except that they don't know that we're severely understaffed and the whole ship is being held together with, like, pieces of wire. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> so, think you got people. <laughs> right. We're not offering because we don't have anything to offer, but they don't know that and we can't tell them that. Yeah, so you keep politely <laughs> declining and, like, changing the conversation every time it comes up. Would be great if we could get reinforcements from somewhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, where, you got any leads on that? If only there were a <laughs> ship that wasn't flying in space right now. Right. Full of men with guns <laughs> yeah man it's hard luck you know everywhere in the galaxy it's tough <laughs> <laughs> just keep having faith we got a preacher you want a sermon yeah. uh, so as a result of this morale and discipline at the front is suffering uh, it's almost like 
they're suffering from a severe lack of maybe a half dozen commissars who never made it to the planet. Would those commissars have been flying in, oh, I don't know, a gun cutter? Well, you did find, I believe, six Imperial bolt pistols, <laughs> six storm coats. That, that I've just flashed around this party. <laughs> and, and a number of commissariat badges aboard the, the gun cutter. So, yeah, I think it's safe to say you're flying in their ship. Okay. Well, they were stitched into a human mosaic by the Dark Eldar, so... That's true. They weren't going to make it. <laughs> and they weren't using it, so... Right. <laughs> we also find out that there was a large supply drop of LAS guns that was knocked far off target and ended up landing behind enemy lines, so on the other side of the orc front. There's no way that these people are going to be able to get it. Yeah, they just don't have the technology or the firepower or the manpower to spare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a gun cutter. And a tow cable. <laughs> huh. Uh, I have a feeling we might have to say yes to this job. Yeah, so you kind of get cornered a little bit by Colonel Sturm and uh, Commissar Herc, who has now noticed your uh, accoutrement. <laughs> and we said no to the 10,000 troops. Right. So, <laughs> so okay, so you're not going to give us the troops. You better give us our guns. And you know what? We'll see how poorly that goes next week so this week we are talking about character falls and redemption arcs uh this was a topic suggested to us by david one of our listeners and the basic idea here is that a character has screwed something up and now needs to make amends yeah there are a lot of different ways that a character can screw up you know some sort of sin or just making a mistake or they could be evil yeah, so I think as far as RPGs, there's there's probably four main um, fall stories. So so we'll we'll talk about this from like a fall and then a redemption, right? Because mm-hmm. they kind of yeah. Let's talk about screwing it up. Let's talk about it in order. <laughs> um, so I think moral corruption or failure, moral failure, are are one of the easy ones, and this goes back to like to the early days of D anD D, right? Like the the lawful good paladin commits an evil act, and he. F- literally mechanically falls Mm -hmm. right but uh any good character doing evil or i mean i suppose even an evil character doing good could qualify as a moral failing or even think about a neutral character right a character whose alignment or like outlook hasn't even really been defined you know Mm -hmm. and i feel like this happens a lot with newer players or in a new campaign where you have someone come in and they haven't really decided what the personality of this character is but you present them with options you present them with moral quandaries and then (laughs) Maybe they make, uh, in context of the campaign, quote-unquote, very bad decisions. Mm -hmm. There's also the kind of character that is sort of the opposite of this, who has clearly defined rules that they're going to live by. Um, We see this, obviously, in like old-school paladins with their code of conduct. Uh, But there are a lot of RPG archetypes in general that have a, a code by which they live, the way of the samurai an oath to a, a monk order or belonging to a, a particular uh, type of religion that prescribes, you know, how you act or, you know, certain activities that you need to undertake. And in the course of adventuring or a campaign, there can be times when you either don't do those or you actively do the opposite. You've broken an oath that you have made. Yeah. So I think of Jamie Lannister in Game of Thrones, right? He was sworn to defend the king. He was a member of the king's guard and then 
when the king goes crazy, it's Jamie Lannister who kills him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it prevented a massacre. It would have cost thousands of lives. Um, the, the world almost certainly would have been better off without the king. And yet he is still the oath breaker, right? Mm-hmm. He has fallen from grace. Um, another another thing to think about outside of like a fantasy setting, um, any type of like uh, life debt or some sworn oath or sworn protector, those types of things. And and this uh, usually is more related to willfully violating those oaths rather than failing to uphold them, right? Mm-hmm. I, a lot of times the the trope is someone who is forced into breaking the oath like like lannister right it's a rock on a hard place right or uh, i see it a lot in you know klingon culture in star trek you by the letter of the law have broken your oath probably because it was poorly made when you were like i will never do this thing or i will always do this thing right but then circumstance comes up and it is either do something horribly immoral or uphold your oath usually the character is forced into you know breaking the oath and then now you have a new kind of uh, path that they're heading down right and then that stands of course in contrast to failure which is you know you had the opportunity to do something and you were not successful in doing it so uh, that could be related to an oath but it could also be as simple as you know missing the game winning shot could send your character down the 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 path of of falling right um it's like the the Super Bowl hangover, right? Like the team who loses the Super Bowl never makes it back to the Super Bowl the following year. <laughs> like you, you just you can't, right? It just it, it's too big of a burden. Or uh, the soccer player who uh, misses the uh, shot in the World Cup and their team loses never makes it back home. <laughs> well, <laughs> depends on which country is hosting. <laughs> a lot of the superhero archetypes use use failure as that like launch point for a superhero's career right mm-hmm. is is you have this power you fail to do something with it and then you must like rededicate yourself to that power to uh sort of redeem yourself for that failure right and i think it's important to make a distinction failure is when a character is actively trying to do something or prevent something or whatever right they are giving it their all and they still don't succeed but contrast that with our fourth option, which is a mistake. It, it might be that the character didn't try because they didn't necessarily know that they should be, that this is something that they should have been preventing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, Peter Parker. <laughs> right. <laughs> like He ignores the robbery and it ends up getting Uncle Ben killed. Right. Could he have stopped the robber? Easily. Yeah. Right. He just didn't even try to he do it. He was just in a mood. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think I think mistake is is often dealing with unintended consequences, whereas um, failure and, and maybe unknown consequences, right? Whereas mm-hmm. failure is usually unintended but known. Like you know what the what the cost of not succeeding is going to be, uh, and you're dealing with that. Whereas whereas a mistake is you learn about the costs uh, kind of after the fact, and that sends you into that fall spiral. Yeah, both can have uh, similar outcomes. Certainly, guilt. Uh, shame is another one i like that for all of these this scale can vary depending on the size of your campaign um or just the the arc that the player wants to have it can have consequences that change the entire world right like (laughs) killing a king probably has very large repercussions for at least an entire nation maybe even more Mm -hmm. but 
if you look at Peter Parker, like Uncle Ben dying doesn't affect New York City. Nobody cares except for Peter and his aunt. Right. But they are, it's a huge looming part of his character from then on forever. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's actually a perfect contrast with like Jamie Lannister, right? Where killing the king, he, his guilt from that comes from the entire rest of the world rejecting him mm-hmm. as the Oathbreaker, um, not, or as the Kingslayer, rather, um, not because of anything that he suffers internally. Right. right? He knows this was the right thing to do. Yeah. And if I had to do again, I would do the same thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this, this isn't a big theme of D and D, but, um, maybe not your D and D. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but romance is another good sort of source for these types of, um, falls for a character, um, especially on a very small scale, right? Like, um, that whole idea of like, you know, uh, like that, teenage emo thing where it's like oh she got close to me and she hurt me so I'll never let anybody get close to me again right um, are you I, supposed to grow out of that uh, yeah you are <laughs> turns out remember that each of these different um, like categories that we're talking about there, there certainly can be a lot of crossover because if you think about something like Lancelot and Guinevere that's a romance story um, but it's also about betrayal, right? He's breaking an oath to his king. Well, so is she. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of oath, yes. Yeah. And then eventually, of course, it leads to like the downfall of an entire kingdom. Right, right. And, and ultimately a way of life. Like all of these things end up happening beginning with this one dalliance. Turned out all right for Galahad. <laughs> Everything always turns out fine for He's a Mary Sue, okay? He is. <laughs> Oh, you're so perfect. You're going to find the Holy Grail. Oh. <laughs> so what are the forms that the fall will manifest in, in an RPG character? Like what, what are the role-playing notes that you want to hit if your character is fallen? Right. So these will be like particular role-playing ways that it pans out, not necessarily in the mechanics of the game. Yeah. And, and this is important because a fall in, in a role-playing game only really makes sense if you're role-playing it that way, mm-hmm. right? Like characters fail all the time, right? Like, like you could have a TPK or a near TPK at any point and you know, you just like pick up your gear and you go on to the next dungeon. Yeah. Oh, we didn't save the NPC. Well, that sucks. I guess we get his loot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, that happens all the time in games, right? Uh-huh. Um, but when you decide that, you know, an event happens that affects your character, uh, what are the ways that you can sort of portray to everybody that this is truly a fall arc for my character, not just a, a, a minor setback? Mm-hmm. Well, we've already talked a bit about guilt. Uh, and I think this is probably one of the most common responses to um, a mistake or a failure, probably less so to something like oath breaking, because for the most part, characters, when they break an oath purposefully, feel like they're doing it for the right reason. Yeah. You know, in the moment. Yeah. I think a lot of times you might have shame then. Right. Right. Where the um, external consequences of of an action are what cause you to fall rather than the internal feelings about that action. Right. So Jamie Lannister doesn't feel bad for a moment about killing the king. Jamie Lannister feels terrible that everybody looks at him with with that judgmental look of you're the greatest swordsman to have ever lived and you did it to break your own oath, right? Like you are the Kingslayer. Like we will never value you the way we looked up to you before. 
Yeah, and I think the way this often manifests in the game, or in the mind of a character at least, is you know when you're guilty, when you're feeling guilty, you would rather not be alone, right? Because that just sort of magnifies the guilt that you're feeling from within. When you're when you're feeling shamed, being alone is actually it can be a solace because mm. you don't have the the like staring eyes or yeah. the the whispers. Yeah. Uh, but of course, both of those can manifest in a profound sense of loss. You know, you no longer have what you had before. You no longer have your uncle who's dead. Right. You you no longer have your title or your standing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you no longer have your nobility. You no longer have your god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or in the case of, of D&D paladins, you no longer have uh, your paladin abilities. <laughs> right. You're a fighter now. <laughs> a terrible fighter with no feats. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the fighter's like, hey, what am I, chopped liver? Like, you know, I got a pretty good life here. Four attacks. <laughs> that faith got you pretty far, huh? Maybe, I don't know, try practice. Mm. <laughs> um, and then I think another thing, uh, another feeling that works well in RPGs is abandonment. Um, the idea that something has happened and you have no reason to go on right um that the sort of ultimate loneliness right um a lot of times that that sets you up for that redemption of i rededicate myself to the party right i become a better team player or i i do whatever it is that the party is doing i fully invest myself in that and that becomes sort of my purpose Mm -hmm. another way that that can uh, happen is if the response is anger Mm-hmm. You know, like your frustration that like this is unfair, fundamentally unfair. I was forced into this. I did the right thing. Um, or, you know, anger at yourself, like guilt can certainly manifest as anger. Um, that is a motivation that I think ends up being a lot more active in terms of the game. So if you want a character who um, has something bad happen, who fails, but then uses that as like a way to propel them forward into something, even if it's not necessarily a good thing they're propelling themselves into. Right. But who may say, okay, I'm going to get much better at combat or, you know, I'm just going to throw myself into spells, you know, in my spell book. That's an opportunity. Yeah. That was, that was very much Brand's arc was like, oh, I failed at one thing one time. Uh, I will never be hit again. I'm going full defense now. (laughs) I will never not be the last one standing. (laughs) That hurt. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's actually a really good note. Um, all of however this guilt manifests right like role playing it at the table is important but also keep in mind that there's um other players at the table mm-hmm. that have their characters with their feelings and there's also sort of this overarching plot that you're already engaged with right so um role play that but also make sure that you're still propelled forward in the story like don't let one failure sort of drag down the whole campaign and now nobody can have fun because my character had a bad day Right, or like now you become the loner who like doesn't adventure with the party. Well, okay, they well, leave, they leave you, you behind leave the party. Yeah, right. I mean, which is fine actually. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I mean, that was one of the things that I had considered at at a point in the Morning Glory campaign. I tried so well. hard to get you to leave. <laughs> yeah, not Brand, <laughs> me. Just shame. Yeah. yeah. Um. So sometimes that's fair too. Um. But I think the the longer term the campaign, the more you can let this kind of spiral as well. Right, where like that anger leads you to a rash decision that causes more problems um, for yourself. Ideally, you don't want that to reflect totally on the party and not on yourself. Unless the party's doing it all together. Right. (laughs) Lead the party into mistakes. (laughs) Don't force the party into mistakes. 
but but that sort of thing where like you know you have been excommunicated from your church and when they send someone to you to sort of recall you for a trial or whatever you kill that person right that's an intensely personal moment that is going to cause that fall to continue to spiral for you but isn't derailing the campaign right mm-hmm. until the end Entire Inquisition comes after you for for heresy. <laughs> that's called a fun complication. <laughs> I mean, the witch hunters are coming. That's that's sounds like a really fun arc, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and they don't care that like you're just my traveling companion, <laughs> right? <laughs> you are abetting a heretic. <laughs> you too must burn with the witch. <laughs> uh, so sorry about that. I'll apologize later, but let's not die first, right? Huh? <laughs> As a GM, I think, you know, once you have uh, characters who have fallen, it's important to make sure that there are consequences, but those consequences don't keep your player from, like, having fun and don't keep a character from being useful in a party. And I think this is why, one of the reasons that we've moved away from second edition paladins, like, losing all their abilities, because it's like, great, now you've set up this redemption arc, but in order to get there, they're just, they can't do anything. Yeah, well... 3.5 3.5 took it the opposite direction where it was like, cool, you've fallen. Here's a whole new set of abilities and they're more powerful. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Why would you not fall? Well, of course I'm falling. I'm only getting this strong so I can fall. Right. <laughs> I'm going to dive. <laughs> right. I'm going to go to the Blackguard Bank right now and cash in all these Paladin levels. Right. <laughs> um, I like the uh, fifth edition. I-, I guess the fiction of it is that like when you become a Paladin, you are invested with a certain amount of power from your deity mm-hmm. and like well the, from from your oath yeah um you know because it doesn't need to be a deity uh, it could be though um and then you know if you break it uh, you still are invested with that power mm-hmm. you know it doesn't go anywhere you didn't unlearn your spells so when it comes time to pull yourself out of that nosedive, I mean, assuming that you've decided that your arc is to do that and not to like crash and burn yeah I and mean, crashing and burning is fine too yeah yeah <laughs> In fact, crashing and burning is what will happen to Draco. Hmm. <laughs> In Dynasty Unwarranted. I mean, he'll, he'll certainly burn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there are a lot of ways that this can happen. And, you know, work with your player, work with your GM to talk about what form you wanted to take. And, and I don't mean, like, if you're a player, don't, like write it right out a story here's how i want it to happen and hand it to your gm you know but you can say yeah like i want this to be a difficult road or you know i want to deal with these consequences for a while but i want the resolution to actually be kind of simple because i don't want to dwell on it for too long Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so in its simplest form you can just write whatever wrong caused you to fall Obviously, you can't bring Uncle Ben back to life. Well, actually, well, actually in, in, in D&D. Plenty of games you can. Yeah. yeah. And actually, that would be a, a good arc. Okay. You know, I through negligence, a family member of mine died. I will quest as a cleric until I can cast Ray's dead, and then I will go raise them from the dead. Right. I will bring their body with me everywhere I go until I can I can bring Ray's dead creepy. and a 500 gold piece diamond. Right. Every 10 days, I cast Gentle Repose again. Yeah. <laughs> they don't smell. It's fine. Uh, this is, uh, I think, um, from the cartoon Conan the Adventurer, right? His family's turned to living stone. So the whole, whole reason he's out there is adventuring is to, like, find Rathamon and get him to, like, undo the spell. Wait, is that really the plot of Conan the Adventurer? The cartoon, yeah, from, like, the 90s. That, like, totally misses the character of Conan. <laughs> like... uh, it did a lot of things wrong, yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> As somebody who's recently read too much Conan... <laughs> 
but it can get way more complicated. Yeah, I mean, you can take a a fall and and rather than writing the wrong, you seek to prevent future wrongs, right? So it's not good enough to just uh, atone for the mistakes that I made. I must also make sure that no one ever makes this mistake again, right? Uh, I wielded this power irresponsibly, so now we must destroy the power. Right. In terms of Spider-Man again, like the character loses something if Uncle Ben is able to be brought back to life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I've heard people say that like in all of comics, you know, people come back to life all the freaking time. You yeah. Know? <laughs> the only characters that can never ever come back are uh, Peter Parker's Uncle Ben mm-hmm. and Batman's parents. Yeah. <laughs> Those people need to stay dead. Right. And like no one wants to see them alive again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So of course, Peter Parker now, he's he's out to stop all the crimes that could end in tragedy the same way that his did right and of course batman is just driven by being you know psychotic and watching his parents killed when he was nine yeah Yeah. i I mean he ostensibly wants to clean up the city but not enough that it stops being profitable for wayne enterprises who (laughs) seems to be behind 90 percent of the corruption in the city hey yeah maybe i don't know rich fix fix this if you want yes weigh in and school us but he's definitely suffers from extraordinary ptsd yeah, uh, Iron Man does the same thing. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. so he's he's guilty about Just all. Just way of more his. selfish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's killed everybody else with his weapons. <laughs> so keep in mind, uh, what redemption is is really defined by the audience. So um, you can have uh, redemption that is internal to the PC, where the PC is her own audience, right? So. Um, you're looking at how does the PC feel about it? How does she um, uh, does she recognize that she's fallen? Like, does she recognize that she's failed or, or that she's made a mistake? Um, and then what would make her feel that she's gotten the ledger even? <laughs> you know, like what what gets her to feel like, yes, I've righted the wrong that I've committed? Yeah, when the player is the audience and, you know, a lot of that role play sort of happens internally or sort of like as a short monologue at the table it can actually be very simple something as simple as you know i saved one child right you know and now like i feel better because it wasn't really my fault in the first place yeah or you can drag it out and now that becomes a personality trait (laughs) right like they're never really getting there yeah like i will always save children right (laughs) and you know as as a gm like either one of those is great you know, either one of those is uh, character building and story building. Yeah, and I think as a as a player playing this, right, it's it's good to vocalize that internal monologue mm-hmm. for for the benefit of the other people, right? Of okay, so this is the situation that she sees herself in. Um, this is what she's experienced with this. This is how she feels, and so this is how she will act. Yeah, right. And it makes for a better story at the table, right? Like if you're ta- talking tactically, the battle map is out. As a player, you can say, okay, well, I mean, she's still reeling from, like, the mistake that she made two months ago. There's absolutely no way that she's not going to run directly over to this child here and shield them. So that's what she does. Right. And and sorry, I will not be offering lay on hands to you, right. uh, fighter who has been taking the dragon. <laughs> I'm saving them for the kids. Right. <laughs> and then everybody goes, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess redemption comes at a cost. <laughs> right. And and then, of course, just mechanically, like, as a party, the players can go, okay, well, in the next fight, 
Right. Like the paladin probably is not going to be good as a healer right now because like she's dealing with this stuff. I can keep that in mind right. if I'm the fighter. And then as a GM, you also know that there's now these little wrinkles that you can throw into an encounter. They're called children. <laughs> they're people, okay? Like, okay, yeah, for this example. <laughs> Unless they're Sahagan children and then they're not and people. they're not people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can save all the children, but not the British children. <laughs> so yeah, so as a GM though, you can take all of these little idiosyncrasies and wrinkles and you can you can use them to sort of make your encounters more varied, right? Because now it's not just a straight fight with the um, hobgoblin general, right? Now it's a it's a fight with the hobgoblin general and the goblin honor guard uh, that you also have this competing interest in, this third party who is going to demand you don't just go bash them over the head. You have something else you have to handle too. Mm-hmm. And what if the BBEG finds out about this new soft spot? Oh, dear. <laughs> it's leverage time. Well, when you talk about the BBEG, now we're talking about other characters. Ah. I love when fiction gives us the backstory of what we thought was an irredeemably evil character who was just sort of cacklingly evil. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, that's how they got there. You know what? That's actually kind of understandable. Yeah, I kind of don't blame you, man. Uh-huh. But... <laughs> then next episode they usually immediately cross the moral event horizon yeah exactly and you're like oh never mind never mind forget you all right like you need to die right immediately that's um that's always the character of barry uh the the rival spy oh, archer <laughs> right like like you're always like man barry has a reason to be such a jerk all the time mm-hmm. and then it's like oh no but he just ate a child right. he <laughs> like, just took it to 11 again yeah, like he, he just recreated the last supper with like <laughs> murdered and tortured bodies like straight up dark eldar Uh, style uh i watched handmaid's tale and it was basically that right you're like oh you were horrible people oh i get some backstory about you i understand why you're horrible oh my god you know but you just need to die immediately right so think of this from uh from the other character's perspective right uh the simplest question is redemption possible um, or is punishment possible? Like, how do they feel about that action? Um, wh- what's their view on it? And and how firmly do they feel that? Um, are they willing to be proven wrong? And depending on your religion, are those the same thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how do other characters, both characters at the table, but also NPCs that you're interacting with, how do they feel about the PC who fell? And how do they feel about the actions that led to the fall? Are they learning anything by watching this character fall, maybe flounder? Do they need to like go and sort of help pick them up, have an intervention? And does this affect how they're going to respond when similar circumstances happen or they fail as well? Or even the choices that they make in terms of like, do they keep their oath? Yeah, it it can serve as a wake up call, Um, especially when you get into like, dark magic or irresponsible technology or those types of things right like it's totally reasonable that you would have like a superhero team up who saw iron man's technology used for evil against them and said no we will not use any technology right i will fight with my hands and my superpowers and my super strength and that's it you could also have you know in more of the the fantasy realm like okay we reject necromancy outright now like we've seen what necromancy can do it is terrible. We will not use necromancy as a party any longer. Throw away our wands. Burn our scrolls. Unlearn our spells, I guess. You'd probably need a little DM help to do that. Modify memory. Yeah. 
Um, I, yeah, I love the idea that some of the players, or you know, even like big NPCs, have the same oath mm. that one character broke. Right. Um, but through circumstance, or because you're in a party, like traveling, there's no one else around for help. Like you're still forced to work with them. But how do you feel about them? And then as travel while traveling with them, you know, it it becomes apparent that they had good reasons, or you see that even though they made one mistake, they're not terrible. It forces them to confront how they feel about the strictures of the oath that they have sworn. Yeah, yeah, that oath might get a lot softer. <laughs> it might it might be a lot more intentional than it is literal. Right. So we've talked a little bit about bbegs but also think about other npcs or orders or organizations and and how they would respond to a character's actions so um you know will powerful people like the king or the nobility still deal with you directly or at all if you're now known as the ones who massacred that village in order to kill a single witch i guess it's time to start wearing masks yeah (laughs) (laughs) we've talked a lot about what PCs lose when they fall but sometimes you gain things too like suddenly the thieves guild has no problem talking to you right yeah (laughs) wait you killed the king step into my office (laughs) isn't it so good to be bad (laughs) and you know maybe the redemption arc is then like using that newfound access to take down the thieves guild from the inside yeah or you know going back to uh, the BBEG idea, right? It's it's he recognizes something in you, um, and he's like, "Whoa!" Like real, recognize real. Come to my side. <laughs> like, we have coffee, <laughs> real coffee, right? Uh, really, you just want to be playing Burn Notice, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> that's that's actually exactly how Burn Notice works, <laughs> right? Oh, Michael, you're stuck in Miami, but you know that comes with benefits being off the books. Yeah. <laughs> You're still going to work for the CIA. <laughs> but also, like, problem of the week. <laughs> you have some free time now to take on other clients yeah. who will never pay you. Right. <laughs> so then the other thing you need to consider as an audience is the players themselves, um, the people at the table, not just their characters. So um, in other media, this would be like the reader or the viewer. But since in RPGs, the reader viewer is actually the actor the player um it it all kind of rolls together but but keep in mind that people have a reaction to what happens at the table as a piece of fiction right so if something very difficult to hear or listen to or watch happens at a table a person has a reaction to that Mm -hmm. um you know so so this works lightly for like that kind of selfish bad boy character right like the sawyer character from lost or jane in firefly um you know, those characters are constantly screwing things up for selfish reasons, but they're like just likable enough that you still want to keep them around, right? The player likes the character, even though the characters are kind of have a good reason to push them out the airlock. Yeah, and the other players also like the character. Like, if you think of that episode, Ariel, as um, an RPG session, sure, two other players are getting screwed over, but they probably know above the table that that's happening. Mm-hmm. you know um and then everyone is watching while like the gm n- nearly nearly spaces a character yeah, yeah. that's intense <laughs> or i think about in our dark sun game um 
Steph is playing uh, Bright Eyes, who was a defiler and has sworn an oath never to defile ever again, no matter what. Right, because she's a member of our mercenary company, who that is basically our two rules are like honor the company and its contracts and don't defile. Right. <laughs> and it is it has been really cool uh, to sort of watch what the character needs to do in order to uphold that oath at all costs. Yeah. You know, um, and on multiple levels, right? Like I'm sure it's like cool for Steph while she's like playing the character. It's cool in the fiction of the game, watching like how Bright Eyes reacts when the rest of the company and she like come across a defiler. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then also like as players going, oh man, like how's this going to play out? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's always like, is this where she tells us? No. No? Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Keep on pretending then. <laughs> um, I think this is also important to keep in mind when you're dealing with settings that are incongruous with modern sensibilities. Mm. So um, to go back to Dark Sun, right? Slavery is a huge theme in Dark Sun. Um, like there, the mall is an entire race of slaves, right? Um, which is not always the most comfortable thing to be engaged in at a role-playing game table right like i i don't necessarily want to like be the master of a slave uh if i even when we're playing pretend and and i definitely don't want to sit at a table with somebody who's getting off on that right so like keep that audience in mind right so that if that if if your character needs to engage in that behavior right that you are able to make clear that that's why it's happening and like you don't want this to be like defining yourself right this is this is not my fun this is just what i have to do let's get past this yeah i think that's something to keep in mind when you are running or playing like falling or fallen characters you need to do a bad thing yeah you know um but we've talked about before like if there's something that you want to occur in the fiction but you don't actually want to like talk about it at the table you can always you know bring down the black curtain right you yeah. know like fade to black this occurred um, uh, you know, you notice people have much darker backstories than their current stories. Yeah, because always. people don't want to like play that out. Right. Yeah. But it's also possible that you just don't want that at the table, and that's fine. Just keep that in mind when you're figuring out exactly what a character needs to do in order to fall, so that it is within like the comfort parameters of the table. Yeah. Um. Well, we we've talked about social contract before, mm-hmm. and um, and about where those lines are and how they're different for each player. So be aware of those. But as you brush up against those, um, just if that's the way that your character is going to fall, make sure that you're cognizant of that impact on the people around you. Yeah, because a lot of times, you know, these the the breaking of the oath or the action that causes you to fall is sudden, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily want to spring it on the other players at the table. Yeah. Like, and this is um, the the example that actually probably makes a little more sense, uh, or at least comes up more often, is children, because mm-hmm. a lot of times you know you've got parents at the table or whatever, and, and that can be very personal, right? And so it's always good to just be like, look, my character feels like these kids have got to die, and so that's what I'm gonna do unless somebody stops me. And like, we don't have to talk about this anymore. We can just move on, <laughs> or we can roll initiative. Yeah, or you can stop me. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, up, up to you guys. <laughs> but I recognize that this is a very transgressive thing that I'm going to do. Right. That my um, character is going that, to do. That my character right. is going to uh. do. Like, uh, talk me out of it, stop me, do something, or or let's just 
move past yeah, it. Yeah, there definitely been times when like someone is standing there with a D20 in hand and they're like, is anyone going to talk me out of this? Because yeah. like, I'm doing this. Is someone going to make a persuasion check? Right, right. Uh, it's also possible that like, hey guys, turns out that's the fall and the redemption arc that we're having. The party's fighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pre-redeem you. <laughs> that's right. Actually, no kids are dying today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but someone's getting stabbed. So then one last thing about redemption arcs in general is just you can also invert them, right? So lean into your new normal. Um, and, and this might not even necessarily like cause you to leave the campaign or leave the party. You might now just be able to do the dirty work because mm-hmm. that's who you are now. Um, but but think of like the the fallen paladin who seeks to prove the hypocrisy of his former order, right? Which is basically Darth Vader. Yeah, the one that... Ab- uh, that abandoned him and now you know, yeah. I'm going to show everyone the lie of the Jedi right now you're a gray guard at the same time when you have a character pursuing redemption it can be cool if they get right up to it and then start second guessing wait is this the redemption that I want because the, the sort of normal trope is okay you killed my family member well now I go kill you yeah like cathartic release like great it's done right but what happens if they're finally face to face with the killer and they have second thoughts about whether they want to kill this person or whether that will even offer them the redemption that they're looking for. Right. It might actually be that they do kill them, but that is not the end of the redemption arc. Right. That does not grant it. That that might actually just be kind of a further step down the spiral. Right. Right. I mean, to bring up Spider-Man again, right? Like it, it's a fairly simple arc, but like he finds his, he finds Uncle Ben's killer. Mm-hmm. He doesn't kill him. No. He also doesn't feel any better about it. Yeah. <laughs> he still decides to become a crime-fighting vigilante cleaning up the streets of New York City. So actually playing this out in a game can work in several different ways. You could have the fall happen off-screen, and then uh, most of the redemption occurs on-screen. This is typically when you have like the backstory. The, the fall and backstory. Right, right. I did terrible things, and now I'm level one. I'm, I'm questing to make up for it. Right. Uh, you can also have the character fall on screen and then be redeemed on screen, and that's sort of the campaign arc uh, uh, for your character. Yeah. I find it's also useful if you have someone who's gotten kind of bored of their character. So, like, you know, six levels in, character falls, character becomes an NPC, they bring in a new character. It's quite possible that that second character dies... Uh, and you, you bring back bring back number faithful. one yeah yeah and then cue redemption arc yeah nothing nothing like uh calling an ex-girlfriend right <laughs> <laughs> um and then one that probably happens less often but is still possible is that the um pc has his fall on screen but then is redeemed off screen right and and a lot of times that happens um when things are very personal and or mm. a campaign kind of ends suddenly and you have to epilogue or um you know the the party just moves in a different direction and it's sort of handled on a more personal level sort of with the gm uh, it, it can kind of become head canon more than game canon at that point right um but it's fitting that this topic comes up right now we've just finished this series on tribality talking about brand and um uh, we've gotten a listener question uh, a few weeks ago that was kind of asking about 
um, some of the stuff that went on with Brand as a player. So I've been thinking about this a lot. So this is, this is kind of good timing. But I realized that Brand had multiple falls over the course of Morning Glory um, as a you know as a literal fallen Inquisitor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and actually hit all three of those kind of implementations of it, right? So his background was that he was an excommunicated Inquisitor who uh, was responsible for a massacre during the last war and was charged by the church of bringing another inquisitor to justice, right? Nistrum Shadar, who was kind of our big bad. The massacre was part of Bran's backstory, but chasing down Nistrum Shadar was basically the first 16 levels of the campaign. So I spent a long time trying to redeem myself. Right. And one of the reasons that the party trusted Bran in the first place is that like when they were introduced to him, he's on this redemption arc. Right. You know, I'm going to do this thing because I did some bad things. Right. (laughs) Um, And then he also had a fall on screen that was redeemed on screen. And that was his sort of question of faith um, when when he became a dragon sorcerer and and was very lampshadingly different, you know, walking out of a portal. um, He lost his faith in the silver flame, began evangelizing for the dead dragon god Sybaris. And, Annoyingly so. Yeah, <laughs> liability-wise. Greetings, so. friend. <laughs> Have I told you about Sybaris? Um, and, and then ultimately, though, Bran returns to his faith as sort of stronger than ever in the Silver Flame and um, actually defeats Belshalor the Shadow in the Flame and restores Jayla Darren, the Keeper, to lead Thrain. And also ends the silver flame. And also kills his own god, which is, <laughs> you know, we're all better off for it. <laughs> That's a pretty fascinating redemption. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the silver flame is really my god. Oh, no, it definitely is, and it needs to die. Right. <laughs> for everyone's good. <laughs> for our good and the good of all his church. Um, and then finally the the kind of fall on screen redeem off screen right we we ended up sort of because in the final session uh bastion betrayed us uh we ended up in the sort of morning glory civil war between brand and emery over what to do with bastion's eternal soul right um emery insists that he should be redeemed and that there's still good in him and he should have a second chance and brand is like no he's too evil he tried to screw over the whole multiverse uh we need to make sure he never comes back because he is the first to sixth most powerful being in this galaxy (laughs) or in this multiverse one of these days we'll need to figure out exactly what happens Uh, i solved it (laughs) i'm gonna boil the sea (laughs) All right, so you don't need to create a character with an idea that they are going to fall and that they will redeem themselves, right? When you are sort of laying out the arc of a character over the course of a campaign, story-wise, you don't need to put in all of the like ups and downs. But as you play them, lots of times you'll notice, like, oh, here's a decision that I think would be in character but would really like change their story. And when those present themselves, consider them. Like, mm-hmm. really seriously consider them because even if in the short term it takes a character in a direction that you don't really want them to end up at, it can be very interesting for everybody to sort of help swing them back out of it. 
Yeah, I don't think you need to force the arc mm-hmm. on a character um, unless you start with it as your backstory, right? Obviously, that's that's making the decision up front. But um, over the course of a campaign, just being open to it and, and kind of keeping your eyes open for the possibility, um, I think will make it more organic and then also more enjoyable, right? Like the, the payoff of finally being redeemed of your uh, great folly is is so much better when it all feels natural. Yeah, and GMs keep an eye out for players who might be open to that. Yeah, and and if you see a possibility, talk to the player about it, please. <laughs> All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, that is the silence of dead children. It's all I hear at night when I sleep. It's fine. They're British children. <laughs> so let's move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we have the Curse Breaker. Oh, the Curse Breaker. The point of this build is to be the best at counterspelling and casting Dispel Magic. Because all of those terrible spellcasters going around and mucking things up and casting curses on people and putting you know strange enchantments on stuff that really should belong in a museum. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to go fix all that. And who is just the person to do that? Probably a Lorebard 14, Tome Fiendlock 6. Okay, so Lorebard 14 is going to be good, right? We're going to have 7th level spells. Yeah, Bard 14 base is always a great character. Right. Uh, you're going to get Jack of All Trades, so you'll have a plus 3 on all ability checks if you don't add your proficiency bonus. Right, which is the ability checks for Counterspell and Dispel Magic. Mm-hmm. Also uh, initiative. And initiative, yeah. <laughs> You'll get plenty of skills and four expertises. Uh, probably Arcana and Religion are really good. I also like the idea of stealth so that you could like sneak in and break someone's like magic oh, yeah, without yeah, them yeah. knowing. Yeah, great. I love that you get cutting words uh, so you can use a Bardic Inspiration to like reduce someone's uh, attack roll or damage roll. But you can also use it to reduce their ability check. So I love the fact that you can insult somebody while they're trying to cast dispel magic or to counter one of your spells, and that fizzles. Yeah. <laughs> I counterspell, but you don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> and at level 14, uh, you get peerless skill, which lets you drop one of your D10 bardic dice onto an ability check, which of course is counterspell or dispel magic. Right. And then six levels of warlock. Uh, we're going to take tome. So we'll get some extra cantrips which will, of course, be guidance to get a plus D4. <laughs> you get three invocations, uh, two of them that I like, uh, Devil's Sight, so you can see in Magical Darkness, because remember, you can only counter something within 60 feet that you can see being cast. And Eldritch Sight, which is Detect Magic at Will, which, like, if your job is to go around and break curses, like, you want to be able to always tell what magic is up. Yeah. Uh, you'll also get Dark One's Own Luck, which lets you add a D10 to an ability check uh, every short rest. And uh, for your race, I think if you are uh, someone who's traveling with a big party a lot of the time, you probably want to be a hobgoblin because they get an ability called Saving Face, 
which uh, lets them add to a role uh, with a bonus equal to the, num- to the number of allies around them. Mm-hmm. The number of people watching them and waiting for them to fail. Yep. <laughs> and if you travel alone, I would go with Halfling because you get to re-roll that one, which prevents devastating failure. So when you cast a counterspell or you're casting Dispel Magic, you're making an ability check uh, w- with your spellcasting ability that... Uh, the DC is 10 plus the level of the spell that you're trying to uh, dispel or counter. Right. As, as long as the spell is higher level than the level you cast counter spell or dispel magic. Right. Which will basically always be casting it at third level. <laughs> <laughs> because on this ability check, you've got a D20 base plus eight. You're going to have a plus five charisma modifier and you get another plus three from the jack of all trades. Okay. So you can just do that normally. That gives you, I believe, a 50% chance of dispelling or countering an eighth level spell. Right. But then you've got some abilities to throw on that as well. Right. You can throw on a bardic die if you want. You can use dark ones on luck. You've got guidance. And also you've got your hobgoblin ability. That's giving you... On average, you can counter or dispel a spell of level like 22. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Considering mortal magic stops at 9. And I believe in the Forgotten Realms fiction, the spell that like killed the goddess of magic and like ruined one entire edition of the Forgotten Realms to make way for a new edition, uh, that was level 12, a level 12 spell. That's not a problem for you to counter. If you're worried about those ones, though, you've also got access to enhance ability. (laughs) (laughs) So you can make sure that you're rolling it with advantage, which will then, you know, take mitigate the the downside on that. That's right. If you're not looking for highest possible, but you're looking for consistency. Right. Yeah. If you always want to counter level nine spells, (laughs) (laughs) because perhaps level 10 spells haven't been written in your current edition yet. All right. So Shane, uh, what is your curse breaker? So my curse breaker has actually been... Uh, the victim of a Gesh spell. Oh. But rather than break his own curse, he sort of leans into it, right? Uh, he wants to ensure that uh, this type of magic is never used against anybody else ever again. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe he once, once he had Gesh cast upon him, uh, he broke the spell. Then cast it on himself so that he could always be obligated to do this right he wants to to he's sort of a proponent of free will <laughs> puts his magic where his mouth is yeah exactly <laughs> so he he just he believes in the high ideal of free will and doesn't want anybody to be suffering from undue influence ever uh particularly the nasty influence of magic that's very noble how about you? Uh, my curse breaker steals things. It's a tomb raider. Oh, okay. Right? Delving into ancient pyramids and crypts, uh, which are <laughs> always littered with curses <laughs> and traps and magical like defenses. Nice. <laughs> so, okay. Um, up against this wall, it's got a force field. I guess I will... Oh, turn it off. Right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, oh, no. You're casting a curse on me. I'm, it's a withering curse. What am I going to... Oh, I'll, I'll just dispel it. Yep. There we go. That yep. was easy. Uh, of course, you know, no, we didn't mention this, but you should definitely take the remove curse spell uh, oh, as yeah. a bard yeah. like with magical secrets. Right. Do that. Uh, and of course, then, you know, gathers idols and things, make sure that there are no lingering curses. It brings them back to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, what is the value of those items without the curse on them? Uh, they have historical value, oh, okay. obviously. Okay, they great. belong in a museum. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Great. All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithms will help other people find us. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, we are answering mailbag questions and we'll be celebrating our 100th episode with a big announcement. And in the character creation forge? Uh, We're building Baron Munchausen. Well, that's it for episode 99 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.